Hey there, and thank you for tapping into this episode of Bandwidth Coast to Coast. The day that this episode is being released is an anniversary. Not one that is really very happy, but one in which we all had a collective trauma. Something that I might get lost in today is talking about Afghanistan and the results of it, the Patriot Act, is that we all went through a collective trauma that day, so long as you were conscious for it. Many of us were shocked by what happened, others confused, others terrorized. But what happened was a 3-2 turn. Shakespeare, in his infinite wisdom, would set up so that the stages of his plays would all of a sudden have a sudden shift in which the tone and tenor of the play would flip and everything would turn on its head. 9-11, everything turned on its head. For some of us, though, if you were living in one of the areas that were affected, such as New York City, that trauma was much more real, much more up close, much more scary. The thing about trauma, if you've ever really experienced it, is that it's overwhelming. It's consuming. You can't escape it. Whether it's something at home, car accident, war, it encompasses every fiber of your being, and it's as if you're drowning. I don't want it to get lost in today. There was a trauma that happened, one that we're still reeling with, one that we're still being affected by, one that we're still legislating. So what I wanted to do was reissue this episode. I started this whole series with this interview for a reason. I think that 9-11 was an entire shift in our collective consciousness as a country and how we affect the world. It was a retelling of our story, a manufacturing of our intent, but what it was to those that on the ground was a day that shook their life. A day that, as Rowan puts, felt too big to panic. So, without further ado, and something that's going to be far better being told from him, I'm going to intro into the story of Roman Price and his experience being blocks from the towers on 9-11 and what that meant, what that felt like. Something that I think we forget, what the life before internet was, and how you can be completely cut out from it, seeing people covered in soot, walking down the street so shook and shocked with trauma that they look like zombies, watching people like confetti jump out of buildings, and being completely confused as what, to happen, what was happening. As we ponder what happened, and as we try to make a path forward through this new viral world, I think we should try to think back on what the traumas of today are affecting us, legislating us, changing us, having effects on our national zeitgeist. But most importantly, I think we should move back into the past, listen to those that were there, and try to find a path forward, one that encompasses it all and heals instead of just reacting. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy. Talk to you all soon. Real quick before the episode starts, if you'd like to listen to us on your streaming platform of choice, donate to the show, sign up for our mailing list, visit us at bandwidthpodcast.com. And of course, if you like what you hear, follow, comment, or subscribe to the pod from wherever you're listening. Enjoy!
Okay. Would you mind just introducing yourself as however you would like? I'm going to like cut the clip up. So however you, however you like to make your introduction, just would you mind just doing that really quick? No. I have that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So um, my name is Rowan and I, uh, I work with experts and entrepreneurs who are kind of uh, driven by expertise and usually engaged in some kind of consulting or software business. That's what you do, but who are you? Um, <laughs> I am a, I am a contrarian, um, <laughs> kind of free spirited, uh, pretty good natured human being, um, from, from planet earth. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. It's true. I think it's all true. I that's think my, it's true. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. I How think would it's, you define contrarian? Um, I guess like willing, I guess, just, you know, willing to set yourself against whatever's there. Um, so I think, you know, uh, a fence can be contrarian. Uh, uh, the root of a tree can be contrarian. You know, can resist gravity or mud flows. So it's just like finding a way to like hack whatever's coming or whatever. I mean, you know, classically, like whatever idea you gets thrown at you, it's the willingness and, and I guess ability, cultivated ability to um, change it or stop it. But it's not arbitrary, right? Like you wouldn't just say like arbitrarily that you enjoy fighting the norm or does it have to be targeted and virtuous? I mean, that's, that's definitely like one sense of the meaning of the word. It's the way it's, it's, it's used derogatorily in that sense of reflexive disagreement. Um, but no, no, I think, I think um, that's not how I was describing myself. I was... I think I was trying to make myself look better than that. <laughs> and, and I'm and just to, trying to get you comfortable. So whatever yeah, works. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's working great. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, I think, I think it's, uh, I think there's, it has to be based in, you know, your understanding of what's true and what's morally right. And otherwise it's, hmm. otherwise it's BS. It's not really being contrarian. It's just, I don't know. It's a lot of things disagreeable. Um, so targeted and virtuous disagreeability <laughs> yeah i like that targeted and virtuous disagreeability yeah you know when i think of like the day of 9-11 i was young and mm -hmm. i think of just how i remember the look on like parents faces at school when they were coming to take their kids out of the day early yeah. And I just remember them looking distraught mm -hmm. and like, I've seen that look. I saw that look on people's faces because my parents and like my like uh, strained upbringing. So I, I had understood what to see somebody to really, I seen an adult really distraught or see someone who was older, really distraught. It, it wasn't something that I hadn't seen before, but it was something that I'd never seen on anyone outside the house. Yeah. So to see these people like openly in public, just like shook. Right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, that really stuck with me. Um, and it's something that I would say, like, 
I started seeing it again with COVID, right? I started like going, I remember going to the grocery store when it was coming out and like walking through the aisles and like, I would see some people that were just running to get stuff. And I would see other people that look like zombies and just look like, I don't know what to do, you know? And I wonder what that was like for you. So Mm -hmm. you lived in Manhattan when this happened, right? In 2001. I did. Yeah. So I I want you to like think about your life in June of 2001. Mm -hmm. What was your normal waking up cycle? I would wake up between eight and 10 in the morning on, on pretty much every day, including weekdays. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. My, my, uh, my workplace, I worked in like a, the classic dot com digital agency. Um, and I think in that era, especially digital agencies and tech startups, uh, starting their workday at 11 was not uncommon. Hmm. So, so like company wide company wide. Yeah. You, you could, huh. you could work either nine to five or 11 to seven. There's a lot of freedom around that. So yeah. And I, I, at the time I lived on Orchard and Stanton, which is a block off of Houston, which is, um, like if I'm looking at Manhattan as a knife, like an upside down butter knife, where right. are you on the butter knife? You're you're a little bit towards the serrated edge and uh, about four-fifths towards the bottom, I think. Okay, and the serrated edge is the east side of it? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so if yeah. upside down butter, butter knife. <laughs> yeah, upside down butter knife. Go, I you're think like a third from the bottom on the, on the east side. That's about that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Um, and then the you know I would walk across the that was the Lower East Side. What was your breakfast? Breakfast there was a um, there was an Israeli cafe, so not so much a Jewish cafe, but an Israeli cafe. Yeah. Um, and they just just made really good like French pastries and coffee. So. So that was a daily ritual. It was a it was a daily ritual. Um, there was Russ and Daughters about a block away, which is kind of like landmark uh, Jewish deli um, from the old from the old days that hasn't really changed, and just amazing bagels. And so that was right there too. Um, I was wondering so, if you had bagels and where you where you were getting them from. That was actually I was curious. Bagels and, and schmears, yeah. yeah, right around the corner, mm-hmm. Russ and Daughters. Um, yeah, that was it for the most part. It was always something off the street because. That was just, there was lots of, if I missed either one of those, I would walk through Nolita and then walk through Chinatown slash Little Italy, which are kind of the same thing now, and to Soho, which is where my office was. So there's lots of places to eat on the street, hmm. bagels usually. Okay. So then you, you got it. You got a bagel. I'm going to go with the bagel. You got a bagel sure. and you uh, walk to the office. Did you walk to your office? Did you take a subway? I usually walked every now and then I'd grab a cab if I was running late for a meeting or something, but I usually walked. Yeah. Like 20 minute walk. Yeah. 15 minutes. Oh, that's nice. 15 minute walk. Yeah, it was good. Okay. So you, you walked to work and I wouldn't imagine you listened to music. Did you? No, I did. I, I, um, music was free at that time. There was a thing called Napster. The original Napster <laughs> made, made all music free for about a year, about eight months. 
and um, yeah, I had an MP3 player and hit earbuds. And, yeah. Okay. All right. So you were the MP3 and Napster. This is really circa 2001. I like it. Yeah. Um, so you're listening to some music. Uh, and what are you, what you, do, you do? Are you going to work? Are you setting the stage for the morning of 9-11? I'm setting the stage for what your life was like. I'm curious. Okay. I'm trying to get yeah. you. So, I'm so using yeah, the method of general. Okay. I'm kind of hacking the method of Loki to get you in the mindset ah, to, okay. to actualize more of the day. Okay, cool. Great. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I would, um, I would usually not be in a rush. Um, sometimes I was in a rush as I, as I referenced a second ago, but usually it was um, not so much when you started as, as, as what you did. Um, so, um, so what was you, what would you do is you roll into the office and what would you do? You were coding, you were running um, meetings. What were you doing? What was your day and how stressful was it? Sometimes it was stressful because we had this thing where we would meet these huge project deadlines. Um, everything was kind of, so there was no, um, you know, the, the, programming language libraries weren't finished yet. So you just kind of mix, you just kind of made shit up like PHP, for example, like it was like PHP 3.0 or 2.6 or something. And it was like a bunch of stuff just wasn't done with the language. So you kind of like, couldn't really use it for everything, but you could use it for like some stuff. Then you right. use Perl. <laughs> you like, use like different stuff. Table. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of like what work was like. I think for people trying to make software, for people trying to make websites, complex websites, it was um, haphazard and, and random and very cool. hacky. It was super yeah. hacky. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So my day was, um, so I, I'd get in there and I was really into this game called Unreal Tournament, which was one of the first oh, yeah, multiplayer really FPS games. Yeah, it was the first Unreal Engine, right? Yeah, it was the first one. And it was like, for me, I think it was, it was one of the first two that were like huge that people played like all over the world with each other simultaneously, which is like normal now, but really back then, mostly people who played that were some college kids, but mostly it was people that worked at like tech startups and digital because we're the only ones that had T1 like super fast mm -hmm. connections and like really nice computers and no one could do it on a desk, a laptop back then. You had to have a desktop. So we had like nice computers. And um, there were 300 people at my agency. So there was like a Toronto team, a San Francisco team, and a New York team that we would battle each other in Unreal Tournament. Like That's really cool. Team capture the flag kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that was part of my day. I mean, it wasn't always how I started my day. Um, usually it was more like the afternoon or evening, but sometimes. Um, yeah, and I, I did, um, I was like a, I started as like a, a front end developer, but then I started doing um, ASP programming. And then I started doing like information architecture, just like wireframing and stuff like that. So it's just basic like web development design stuff. Yeah. And back in the day, so you were, and well, startups usually have a culture of wearing multiple hats. Um, but it, back then, I mean, that was probably a requirement, especially with all the hacking and everything. Yeah. Like we hadn't really defined, like there was no, there was no term UX design. That didn't I was going to say there wasn't a UX designer. I was there just going to say that actually. There was like an information architect and a, which was more like a traditional like workflow diagrammer. Yeah. Or, there, or a data guy. Or data guy too. Yeah. And then there was, you know, web designers and web developers. 
and project managers. And like, you just, we, we just all figured it out together. I think that's, that's how great. UX design works. <laughs> yeah. It's how it should work anyways. Um, yeah, true. So, okay. So then at night, would you, were you mostly like living up? What was your, uh, how, let me, let me rephrase this. Cause I want to uh, frame my question properly. Um, what was your typical way of getting the New York experience? Mm, right. Well, um, I don't know. There was just a lot of places right around where I lived where there were just cool, cool spots to just kind of poke around and hang out. And I mean, there were, there were dozens of them. So, you know, it was kind of just, yeah, I guess connecting with people that had lived there or lived there. And so connecting uh, with people in bars and cafes. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I hadn't, I was in an office full of like 150 people that were between the, I was like 26 at the time. So there was about 150 people within a few years of that age range. Um, so that was the main thing. And then, yeah, like in my neighborhood, in the Lower East Side, there were certain people you would, you'd recognize and see repeatedly. And I just knew like randomly other people from before I moved to New York that lived in the area. The thing that um, I admittedly haven't spent nearly enough time in New York City, but I've been there uh, a few times for work. But the thing that uh, struck me was how much of almost a neighborhood feel you get when you live in a block for long enough. Yeah. Right. And yeah, like, totally. I didn't, I didn't understand. Someone told me this, they lived in New York when I was there once. And I didn't understand that until like living here in San Diego and I live on one of the beaches and I'm starting to see like the same people over and over again, like when I'm mm. walking the dog and stuff and they'll like wave to me and like, you know, before you know, you're like, I haven't started having conversations with people, but in New York city where you're constantly, you're closer, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're brushing up against each other. I can understand that more where you just kind of see people and it's just, I mean, like, Hey, what are you doing? Absolutely. And, and it's an interesting thing of a city of a mega city to get something like that, you know? Yeah, it is interesting. And I think you can, there are various levels to which that happens based on how you like structure your life. Cause you can certainly spend a lot of your time outside of your neighborhood. Um, and I did actually, cause I, I had just various destinations um, uptown and um, you know, in Brooklyn and so on. My, uh, my, <clears throat> My partner at the time was, you know, originally from uh, Brooklyn mm. and um, we were both really into art and she'd been an art student. So we were at one point after I, <clears throat> after I, I finagled my, my way into getting fired on purpose so I could collect bonus 9-11 unemployment insurance extended, <laughs> okay. which I used to go live in Hawaii. Um, I, uh, that's we went to the, I went to the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. We went 30 days in a row every single day. We said, we'll That's never awesome. have this opportunity to do this. And we've been, we'd been there a bunch of times and we'd seen that we'd never been able to really get it. And we felt frustrated. And we also felt that we needed to start from prehistory to the modern day, which is what that museum gives you the opportunity hmm. to do. You can look at art from every time period in every part of the world. Um, and you can work your way through time. And so we did that. And um, yeah, we a few hours a day, you know, three or four hours a day. And, um, you know, that certainly took me out of my neighborhood, but it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it was great. I, I really enjoyed hearing that. I didn't know that about the Met either. The, 
yeah, it's timeline a, thing. It's a spectacular collection or set of collections. It's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. Is so the, when you were when you were living in New York, you went to the Catskills too, where you are now. Yeah. Area. Yeah. 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 We. Um, I had my my car, which I'd driven out from California, which is where I'd moved from. I parked it in Poughkeepsie, which is where Vassar is, which is upstate. And you can take the train from uh, Grand Central Station. And it's like an hour and 20 minutes or something. So that kind of sets you, as opposed to trying to park your car in um, Manhattan if you're not rich, which I wasn't. So that was like, you know, 40 bucks a month in uh, parking lot fee. So I just pick it up in Poughkeepsie and um, <laughs> Poughkeepsie. I used to call it Poughkeepsie for fun. It just that that's like a launch pad into the Catskills. It's like right there, really close, right across the river. I love your chutzpah. Like in the time that we've been talking, you've already mentioned that you lived in California, uh, New York City, and Hawaii. And the, yeah, that the, was the, that was the, the highly, how you do it or is transient. Great. That was a transient, right? Yeah, right. That I did, I did, I did move about with chutzpah. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I enjoy hearing it. Um, Okay, so you're no you're no stranger to quick movements, it seems like, or uh, paradigm changes. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you you live it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Probably not as like impressive as I'm. Uh, you're making me making me out to be. But yeah, I think I, I think I have experienced it. You know, whether I've thrived or dived, I think is another question. Yes. Oh, I and take the take this to heart. I think that you are all the more interesting than I, I'm even expressing in this conversation. <laughs> uh, I, I just pull out one obscure literature refer, reference, then you're going to have a whole fractal dive of information that I'm just never going to have heard of before. Um, amongst other Sometimes. greater attributes that you have, Mr. Rowan. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. We all have our our. our this is a very moments, but... interesting interview, actually. Speaking of which. Oh well, thank you. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Me too. Um, I, oh, I'm happy to hear that. I was going to ask. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, so you went to the Catskills. You so you yeah. would go occasionally, right? Like you mentioned that you would go like on vacation and whatnot, just kind of hike and boop around. Uh, it's just just weekend, just like yeah. just chill out, just you know, in the when the weather was nice. It's just mm. the city. The city's kind of like oppressive after a bit, so you just yeah, that's just great. Escape for a little bit. Um. Okay, so you're let me let me get this. So you're you're living in the Lower East Side. You're uh, living and working very nice, close to each other. You're, it seems like you're really getting into the New York City culture um, of just knowing it, you know, seeing everybody and walking around and kind of having that uh, Seinfeld life, right? Uh, very like. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't, don't think I was ever like a native like that because that they to me feel like they're like true like natives and I, I think i was more like a visitor but yeah you're very I mean, transient I, yeah no. but you transient. take on the culture in the way that i would say that it's, it's similar i'm trying to like fill a glass to understand like a good picture and i feel like that's that's a good one you're moving around a lot you're sure what you're doing is moving and talking to people and you're kind of enjoying like the, yeah. the outer loudness that is that that much much of a concrete jungle absolutely um, yeah so what was that like september 12th uh was there any of that was there any of the walking around going to cafes seeing people 
no 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 there was nothing like that the only place you would go is to donate blood at the hospital maybe to go like get emergency supplies so september 10th you're going and get a bagel on your way to work yeah september 12th the only place that you can go is to go donate blood pretty much or the pharmacy yeah crazy what was the look on people's faces did you see anybody was there anybody on the street yes there was a lot of people out to donate blood more there was much more blood than they could accept they were having to turn people away there are long lines of people being turned away because it was the only thing you could do there was no internet there was no tv there was no radio there was radio there was like emergency radio but there was really like there was no work there was no leaving so you didn't have any internet (laughs) Did not have any internet. Why is that? Um, because a, my provider's network was down. Hmm. So my provider was out. I can't even remember what my provider was. But it was out. It was out for 48 hours. Hmm. Maybe a little bit less than that. Did I think it came, some people, I did have a cell phone. I think it was out. Yeah, I had, I had a, um, a track phone, a, a track flip phone, I think. Like a razor or something. Um, it's definitely services out of 9-11. I can't remember. I can't remember if it came back on the 12th or not. Interesting. And the only, there, no television. There was no television. They got it back at some point. I can't remember if it was, I think it was the next day. I think it was the 12th and it was, yeah, it was just the news channels, basically. All, wow. That was all there was, was the, the, the broadcast news channels. Uh, yeah. Now there might've been different media experiences. I imagine so. I imagine some people had providers that stayed up and yeah how but far that was from my experience you... i felt cut off what's that oh i mean that that's very cut off yeah. um was there like if you looked outside your window would you be able to see people walking around um yes yes because people needed to people actually did need to go to the pharmacy and then it's a certain point stores started to reopen and people needed to, you know, people needed to get food. So your bagel place wasn't open? Um, pastry place? I don't think the bagel place was open. The Israeli cafe, I think they opened after a few days. Um, there were like grocery stores and corner stores that opened up though. There was a corner store across from my apartment building. So. What did you do in that from... What did you do on September 12th? I want to go back, but I want to, I'm curious as to what you did on September 12th. I um, sat in my apartment and waited for the TV to come on. And I, I think I was able to make phone calls. So I was able to call very, like I called my parents and one of my siblings, I think. And we just, yeah, we were able to start, we started to be able to call people at a certain point. So we did a bunch of calls and we kind of like made plans and just planned on how to, we were scheming, trying to figure out how to get off the islands. So we were like, 
that was what a lot of it was. We, we figured out that all the bridges were closed and all the tunnels were closed, but we, it took us a while to piece it together. So we were trying to like figure out how to get off basically because we didn't really know what was next. Did you feel panicked? I was in shock. I didn't feel panic. I think I, I think I was in shock. And for some reason I didn't panic. It felt like too big to panic. Um, so no i don't think i did panic some people did sure a lot of people didn't though actually huh. what um, um what was your plan to get off the island uh, my you just plan, got off the phone with your sister your parents yeah like we were like i think one 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 idea we had was to go down to the docks and see if there are any like boats that we're going to cross to like Jersey or whatever. <laughs> um, or Long Island. But the plan was to get up to uh, my, my partner's aunt's house. She lived up in the Catskills. And so she lived out in the country. It was like safe, secure. And that's what we did. But I, we didn't do it until I believe September. It was either the 14th or the 15th. Might have been the 14th. And at that point, they opened up the George Washington Bridge, which is how you get up to the Catskills. So you're able to leave the island. How did you get across the bridge? Uh, just, just the normal way, just driving. I mean, just took the normal route and drove. Um, yeah, that was pretty straightforward, that part. Okay. So September 10th, you're getting a bagel on your way into the office. Mm -hmm. September 15th, you're driving across the George Washington Bridge to go hide in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So what was, I believe like the tower, first tower got hit at like eight something in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. So what were you doing? Were you even awake when it first happened? Um. I was like half awake and I was in, I believe I was in bed still um, when the first one hit and it, it woke me up. The sound and, of it hitting? Yeah. Yeah. The sound of it hitting. You could hear it. You hear the, well, I think either that or just the sound of the plane. The plane what did it loud. sound like? Um, it sounded like a, Like a big, well, I just, yeah, it was, it was, it sounded like a loud kind of, kind of, uh, kind of, uh, like a loud jet engine that was stressed or strained, kind of, uh, more so rattling. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, just more, more so than you might expect from a, a loud, almost like jet. a, like a big fan. You know, there was, there was like that. There was a whooshing sound or a fan sound that I remember from some point that day. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure when, but at that point, yeah, it was like um, after it, after it collided, I it wasn't loud enough for me to hear from my apartment, so I didn't really know what was going on. So I woke so up. You heard like a jet engine screech almost. I heard like a just a, yeah like a super loud jet Roar. engine doing something, and then like a like a boom but i didn't really know what it was because it didn't make sense to me so i wasn't really sure what it was i just heard these these random noises basically 
Hmm. Part of that was, you know, just waking up. But part of it was just, it just didn't make sense. You're like, what would that be? Why would that happen where I am, you know? What did you do next? Um, I got up for a little bit and I just, I just ignored it and did a couple things, I think, to get ready. And then I heard like people, shrill voices on the street down below. I was about four stories up off of Orchard. And um, I just looked down and then people seemed to be walking faster than normal. And I was like, what's going on? So I just ran downstairs and uh, just to go to work, you know, that was, and. Um, so you're going in early that day because of this? Yeah, I was curious what was going on. So maybe I got downstairs a little, little bit after nine. And, you know, sometimes I went in at that time, so it wasn't that weird. But um, yeah, so as I went along the way after a couple blocks, I just got this vantage point. I came around a corner, around a tree in a corner and the sky opened up and I saw the plane stuck into the building and I saw the smoke and, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I didn't know. But other people had been up maybe since it hit so this maybe it was already 45 minutes and they'd already figured out exactly what was going on i didn't know but there were people already reacting emotionally to it like they'd been informed they'd had time to think about it they would had time to talk about it with other people on the street and they were already in panic mode or flight mode or anger mode and i was like what's going on so interesting so as you're walking I want to, I want to understand the imagery really quick. So you're walking in after this is happening and there's a clearing in the buildings and you can mm -hmm. see the trade center with the yeah. tail of it out. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. You know, I, uh, it's easy for me to imagine like where the sky clears up, you know, when you're walking in a downtown area. Especially mm -hmm. Manhattan. I mean, Manhattan is, I don't know, many places in the world like that, uh, maybe like outside of Asia, but, um, you know, like seeing the cloud or like the sky open up and seeing blue with the backdrop of smoke and a plane coming out of it. I mean, it's, it's kind of making my thoughts kind of stop at it for a moment. That's, that's, mm. that's interesting. Okay. So you see this, what was your first reaction when you saw that? Did you stop and stare? I did. I stopped and stared at it. I thought it was spectac spectacular in a really scary way. I wasn't really, my first thought was that this is some kind of freak accident. It's not, it's terrible, but it's not like a, no idea of the scope of it. Like none. I, I couldn't even conceive of it being this active, like terrorism essentially. So before we go any further, on September 11th, when did you get your first jolt of adrenaline? What caused it? Was it waking up and hearing the jet engine? No, it was when I realized from other people's reactions, finally, that it hadn't been a terrorist attack. That's what gave me the jolt of adrenaline. Before that, it was just a random plane that randomly crashed into... The World Trade Center, but you know, a building. Right. Or it wasn't really that. It was like, it was, I don't know what's going on. Right. I'm not sure. That's what right. it was. I mean, that's a really foreign experience. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when when did you when what what person initiated that response? There was a a van that belonged to the New York NYFD, the New York Fire Department. So like a van, not a fire truck. And the van had, you know, was stand, you know, was had the markings of the fire department. So red, and it was open in the back, and there were about six firemen in it. And um, I saw that driving down the road and they had a big speaker in the back and they were playing a a Frank Sinatra song about New York. Um, They had the classic one. Mm -hmm. It's not the title. New York. Exactly. I think it's just called New York, New York. I think it's just called New York, New York. So they're playing New York, New York. And there's this guy walking down the street with like a tank top and he didn't look like the kind of guy that would normally be carrying a flag, but he was carrying a huge American flag. And he gave him this kind of salute. Like he raised his arm and gave him a salute and they saluted him back. And uh, then I started hearing all these ambulances, like in the distance, like lots of them. And then that was the first inkling that I, thought something like foul play was involved just by seeing that reaction. And then I, then I talked, to, I stopped to talk to someone and they, they, were, they weren't really sure. And then I passed someone else when I got into Little Italy. And I'm not saying this is part of the Little Italy, but just geographically, that was about another few blocks. And they said, I heard them one saying to another, we should just go over there and end this and drop a bunch of eggs. He just drop a bunch of eggs all over the Middle East. He meant nuclear bombs. He was like, this is enough. We're done. We're just going to end this. And then I realized, and then someone at that point, lots of people were, I heard terrorist attack, terrorist attack. So then I knew, and then I was, then I just, then I booked it at the office. Then I went straight to the office. There a few remaining blocks. Wow. Just kind of picked it up from the street, just random stuff on the street. Interesting. Drop a bunch of eggs. Yeah. Okay. That I mean that was a that was a very common response. Um okay, so now you I would imagine running to the office cuz you you had a roof, right? Did you go there to the roof of your office first? Um I went there because I really wanted to know what was going on and that was where I thought I could find people that I would trust the most to figure out what was going on and to figure out what to do. It felt like the safe thing to do. Um, cause I, at this point I still wasn't sure what was going on. I just knew that there was something wrong and it, mm-hmm. maybe it was, maybe it was a terrorist attack. So I, I didn't necessarily feel like it was safer though. Um, huh. it was closer than my apartment was to where the, uh, where the plane had hit. And at this point, no one had any idea that a building was going to come down. It was just a plane in the building. So it was a bad thing, but it wasn't it wasn't that scary. It was just like really shocking, basically. It's when hmm. the building came down that it got really scary. Describe that. I was standing <clears throat> on the roof of my office. So it was in between 
Broadway and Grand, about a block north of Canal Street. And the office building was one of these old Soho warehouses that spans the whole city block, kind of narrow and four or five stories. And that's where <clears throat> we, my company rented, rented the whole building. And so we had access to the roof and the roof was kind of like a hangout area. And um, so I run up on the roof and I'm with one of my colleagues there. Um, this woman named Nicole. And Nicole and I were like, what? We were just to each other. We were like, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? And this is so scary. And then we were just looking at it. We we're just staring at it. We we're standing next to each other. And it started, we could see the top start to fall a little bit and a little bit more. And then the whole thing just started to come down. It was, we didn't know if there was a bomb. We, most people thought a bomb had been set off for that to happen. They didn't realize that the plane was a de facto bomb. No idea of that. So it seemed like it was a, a huge bombing. And you know, it, it would have been conceivable if you don't know much about war and war technology to believe that someone had set off a small nuclear bomb. I mean, it was like this huge thing being exploded. Um, so we kind of, everyone just kind of ran for the door to go off the roof. <laughs> it was <laughs> like that, that was a true moment of panic. And then, yeah, that's because you was, saw the ring of like explosion and the ring of a uh, force that just kind of came out. Um, so you see like it blows up and it starts collapsing down and you guys all just think something happened and you run to the door. Yeah. I mean, there's this dust coming up, so it's forming this huge cloud and I think it probably just that's evoked explosion. So it didn't, that's probably the thing that most evokes the explosion. Now you could barely make out people jumping off beforehand um, from where I stood, but it was almost, that was something I don't think I really could process. I, I thought at first I thought it was rocks or like objects falling off the top. And I realized later that in my mind, the top was crumbling really slowly and it took a long time for the whole thing to come down. But really it was just people jumping off and then it came down, which was pretty intense to realize. Where were you when you realized that? Um, I think I was, I think I was in Hawaii by that time. I think I was gone. It took, it took me a long time to realize that. And that's probably what, six months later? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Can you recall that image? Like, it, was it like that where you were like, oh my God, I now understand what happened. And what, how did you, how did you process that? I'm just curious how you process that. That's really what I'm asking. Um, <clears throat> I had pre-processed it because I had heard about that happening and I had thought to myself that, um, you know, what kind of, it was, this was kind of like a maybe semi-manufactured trope that was going around the media to try to, to bolster morale. But I had thought to myself that these people at least had a choice and they took their choice rather than burning alive. They decided to, you know, fly off this massive building. And so in that last moment, they, they exercised a little bit of choice and um, kind of a horrifying choice, of course. Mm -hmm. 
Um, some just, people chose to do nothing and almost made it apparently, but I don't think anyone actually made it when the whole building collapsed. We had the second plane already hit at this point. Yeah. Did yeah, you see the that? second plane had already hit. Um, I missed that for some reason. I think it was in the office. I can't remember. I can't remember the sequence. How did you find out about that? Uh, just by going up to the roof and people talking about it. Like when, once it was two planes, yeah, that became like an instant. Like what we were doing is just trying to accumulate all the information we could. And um, yeah, so that was, I found out about that from my office mates. When did you first go to the internet? I believe I had internet access that day. That day. That day. When did you first go to the internet that day? I can't remember. Do you I, remember I going to the internet that day? No, I don't. Okay. Do you remember getting any media that day? No, I don't remember getting any media that day at all. I mean, the do morning you, paper had already been delivered, but do you suspect that you did get any media that day? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Okay. And I just, I'm just, I'm just blanking out because I was probably shocked. Shock. It's, it's been a long time, but yeah. Yeah. When did you find out about the other planes that day? Oh. You know, I found out in the evening, I guess, but through, probably through word of mouth. But um, yeah, I was, I, I'm not exactly sure, probably the evening. And there were police stations throughout the city. So there was information being circulated that way. There were, there were tanks. There was a tank on my street corner, on the corner of uh, Stanton and Houston. So when did you I, notice that getting there? I noticed it um, the first day. So what I did, I noticed it on September 11th. That after, the, I think they came that evening. Maybe they came the next day. But I, I you know, I would, I was outside because I wanted to periodically walk around and see what was going on, talk to people. So I saw it as soon as it was up. I think it was probably the next day, next morning. Okay, that's interesting. Man, what a shock. It's also so foreign to think about living before having the internet in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I could very much easily suspect that I would get a notification telling me what's going on if there was an attack of this magnitude that was occurring, you know, from my, yeah, my phone provider. And it'd be, you know what I mean? A text message, right. Let alone going on Twitter or whatever bullshit. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The reflex of that was why I was asking if if you checked the news, because I was curious is if if it was even a reflex or it doesn't even it doesn't seem as it was. It wasn't really a reflex to check the news on my phone. I well, did didn't have, have a phone. You didn't have a phone that was capable of internet like that, did you? And if you did, I mean, was I that, did was in that Hawaii. Even? I did have a phone with with data with a data connection in Hawaii. And it was like a really simple phone. You could, it had like a real, just like a really crude native browser. Right. And I remember, I remember checking the Blazor scores on it. Nice. 
was like yeah, the those Nokia's. Those no- it, Nokia's around that time had like really nice little internet. Yeah, browsers. Real it, simple, was, it was a, real it was a, it was a, it wasn't use, nice but, like that. What's that? Oh no, they were horrible to use. No, they wasn't. Yeah. But it was like so cool at the time where it's like, oh my god, dude, I'm going on the internet. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so what? When did you leave the office? Mm. And how did you eat lunch that day? Let me go with that first. Did you eat breakfast and, and did what did you eat for lunch? Mm, I didn't eat breakfast and I do not believe I ate lunch. Pretty sure I didn't eat either one. <laughs> when that did was you my leave, approach. When did you leave the building? So the, I left the, the building tower falls. A, did you leave the building then? About 11 o'clock. So I stayed for a little bit to try to get as much info as I could. I called my partner um, in the apartment and I just debriefed everything to her and then was like okay i'm gonna be over there in a little bit and i just basically ran back there i just got a little bit more information i'm not sure what else i did there was a few a few a few people i wanted to talk to before i left just to make sure i had all of my points of information and communication set up i think we were trying each other's phones and they weren't working mm. um wow but yeah i think i i was there for about an hour and then i then I went back maybe 45 minutes and I rushed back to my apartment. And then did you leave your apartment after that? Yeah, I left my, not for a while. I left my apartment in the, in the evening just to walk around and see what was going on. Um, maybe once or twice. That's probably the first time I left just to recon mission. Hmm. When did the military start shutting everything down? It wasn't until the next day because they just weren't there. So it was chaos. You know, the, the, the day of the rest of the day was like, basically people were setting up ways to help each other just organically, kind of anarchistically, essentially, anarchically. And um, what do those look like? They look like information tables, food tables, water tables, first aid tables set up on the sidewalk. Um, set up at intersections uh, in empty lots, that kind of thing. Regular people. Regular people, just neighborhood people, just yeah. Volunteer based, spontaneous volunteership, essentially. Hmm. I never heard that before. Yeah, I saw a few tables like that. It's just people had just set them up and just started because it was like. You know, imagine like by the time noon hits, you've already had, you've already figured out what's going on and you've already been in shock. And then you're like, okay, we're just sitting here with no input. There's no, there's no cable news feed. So let's go outside. There's no internet. See, again, I'm not sure that there was no internet, but for me, there wasn't. But maybe for a lot of people, there was, it was just like, let's go do something. Let's, let's do something, figure something out. So what was the rest of that? You said it was chaos. Like what, what, what was the, so from noon until you have your, did you eat that day? Um, I think in the evening I ate like crackers or something from my shelf, but nothing substantial. No. Okay. So from noon until you had a half a sleeve of saltines, right? What were you doing? And what was, what, um, I want to know what you were doing, but I want to more so know what the energy of the street was like. Mm. If there's tables around. I see the tables. Are there mm-hmm. people coming to them? 
are there are there people just walking around aimlessly you know what is the beat of the street the beat is confusion mostly there were definitely people coming to the tables the tables i remember had water that was like one of the big features so there was water um and lots of people needed it and it was kind of like de facto first aid i think mostly it was like you need to go to the hospital you just need to like have the interaction with the human right clean up your scrapes yeah so there's a lot of people wandering around um, just covered in dust and shocked and they were all over the place and they were like zombies and they didn't know what to do they didn't know where to go so some of them would just wander up to these tables and they would be given water and they would be like told like okay wait here or there's a hospital up here you know go four blocks and take a right um so you're just seeing people in like everyday clothes suits a lot of people in suits because that's covered in dust the common attire by the trade center yeah exactly covered in dust a lot of people in suits uh how far of a walk are you from the trade center um my office is about uh 10 minutes eight minutes and um yeah my my apartment's probably like uh 25 minutes 20 minutes wow so a lot of people aim just aimlessly walking yeah a lot of other what are the what are the people in your neighborhood doing are they in the street or are they in their apartments i think most of them are in their apartments but uh as i was uh stepping out periodically to try to figure out what was going on talking to other people um maybe going I had believed the corner stores might have been open, actually. I think they just stayed open. That's the thing. There was no, it wasn't like with COVID lockdowns where there was legislation or executive mandates like controlling stuff like that. It was just, it was the first day. So it was just, you know, you just did whatever you wanted, basically. I'm sure anyone mm-hmm. probably could have opened it if they wanted to. But mostly it was just people helping everyone else and managing the shock. That was definitely like, the prevailing thing and just kind of lots of confusion and there was, you know some people were emoting a lot some people were, weren't some people did were you angry. witness any anger yes i mean as i mentioned you know i i saw the guys wanted immediately like we're gonna drop some eggs um witness a lot of anger like especially the next day like um you know most of the uh most of the shopkeepers in the Lower East Side at that time were not most of them, but a substantial number of them and a substantial number of taxi drivers were people of um, Middle Eastern descent and or of, um, you know, pot, uh, wearing Muslim clothing. So whether or not they were Muslims or from the Middle East, I don't know. But so there's a lot of people that definitely... Um, became the instant target of anger and you can almost kind of feel it did you witness any of that um yeah i witnessed the hostility i didn't witness any like direct acts of violence though but i witnessed them no i did actually i did i did witness people being yelled at that's right i forgot about that yeah i witnessed that in manhattan actually um yeah, and that group of that, those groups of people were pretty affected by it. You could tell they were scared and defensive. 
Do you remember the what the time on the clock was the last time you looked at it before you went to bed that night? No, I have no idea. Do you know if you remember keeping time? I don't remember keeping time. Um, I don't think I probably stayed up until one or so, but I don't, I don't really remember. Um, Were you hearing people in the street when you went to sleep? No, I think most people were inside at that point. Um, Was it easy for you to fall asleep? No, because there were sirens going almost all night and there was this incredibly strong smell of all the burning bodies and all the chemicals that were burning as well, wiring and so on. And that smell of, yeah, like, like basically burning office supplies and, and burning clothing, all these like weird synthetic artificial chemicals and as well as human bodies, it just kind of like took over the, the air. So I didn't sleep too well, I kind of like slept. I think I remember sleeping fitfully. Hmm. What well, what was um what was it like and when did the military move in or just when did the state take control of the streets? Mm. They took control the next morning on as I remember it. I'm were not you, the most reliable source, but the September. We're going 12th. off of eyewitness here, and I'm I'm doing some interesting questioning, so it's okay if you don't remember anything. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, I, th- I believe it was the morning of September 12th. I, I believe that was the first time I was. It became very clear that there were, there was like a strong state presence, and they were starting to like control the public space. Did you see troops when you woke up and look out? You looked out your window. I wouldn't put it that way. I did see. Um, I believe it was National Guard um, manning the tanks, but like we're talking like two, you'd see like two people, maybe three people wearing uh, soldier fatigues essentially. So when you woke up, there was people in fatigues on the street. Yeah, around the corner from me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What did you still hear sirens? Periodically, not 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 nearly as much at that point. Um, but yeah, periodically, yes. Was there anyone walking around your neighborhood? Yes, there were a few people walking around the neighborhood. Uh, people were going out to get food. So uh, that was, there certainly was no delivery, as I remember at least. I went to get food, actually. Um, Where'd you partner, go? My partner and I, we went to a store that was on the north side of uh, Houston in uh, East Village. And the East Village was like right across the street. I think we went, we stopped at a, um, like a pizza place and got a slice of pizza. And then. Did you talk to the guy at the pizza place? Um, no, he was, no, he didn't. I don't think he, I think he was too busy to have a conversation. But we did get it. We did get our mail because our mailbox was right there. And um, there was a postcard in the mailbox. We got it. And um, probably bought something else like magazines, just, you know, stuff to read. And uh, we got stopped by the police at the intersection. So there were, next to the tank, there was New York uh, NYPD. 
and they were the ones interacting with the public. So um, we got stopped by NYPD and, but it was right next to the tank. So I had this like, you know, very authoritarian effect. And they're like, you, you have to be able to prove that you live south of Houston to go south of Houston. We had this postcard that was addressed to our address on the stand just down, you know, 50 yards away. So <laughs> until we got past the tank. That postcard <laughs> saved you. Yeah. Good thing you checked your mail. Yeah, really, really. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's the 12th mm-hmm. and the pre like, so you're getting internet sometime the 12th or 13th. Yeah. You're kind of getting access to the world sometime around the 12th or 13th. Yeah. Until then you're just planning and bored. Um, yeah, I think it was too, we're too wired to be bored. Like you, you could just be sitting on the couch for like an hour and there wasn't really a feeling of boredom because it was a surreal situation. I mean, you could be sitting on the couch for four. No, you could be sitting on the couch for eight hours straight and then you would still wouldn't have felt boredom. You would have felt stimulation from this like otherworldly reality that just hit. It was like you needed more than a day to process. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever experienced that state again? No. No. I've never experienced anything like that. Not even close. Hmm. When when did you feel normal again? First feel normal again? Probably about three weeks after 9-11. So probably October. Where were you? I was back in the city and work had reopened. Um, but yeah, I was back in my apartment in Lower East Side going, going to work in uh, Soho. How long did you do that again before you left? Um, let's see, four months, three months, three or four months. Why'd you leave? Um, so the dot-com boom happened, uh, had happened kind of, yes, it had happened already. The explosion, I'm sorry, the dot-com boom collapse had happened but 9-11 accelerated it. Um, now, because it had happened before 9-11, this is to permit me a, a slight digression that I think is on, on topic. Um, the company went from 300 people down to like 40 people, right? And it kept making the cut. And um, at that point, we were almost sold to Deloitte and Touche Wholesale as their digital agency, their digital arm internally. And they're off. We were going to be in the 40th floor of the first tower, the World Trade Center. That's where Deloitte and Touche was. That happened in July. So it was wow. to the point where they actually came in and I was interviewed by Deloitte. They interviewed all of us. They were just going to take all of us. That was the deal. But they wanted to at least you know meet the people quickly. Were the people that interviewed you working there? At Deloitte? Yeah. 
the they forward were, floor. Yes, they were. That's where their offices were. They were they were pitching it as a perk or as a you know part of the experience of working at Deloitte. Wow. So July two thousand and one, Deloitte is about to buy your digital agency and, and is pitching you on the idea of working on the fortieth floor of the World Trade Center one. That's right. Yeah. Wow. How many times have that thought passed through your head? Oh, plenty, plenty. I mean, I, I thought it sounded kind of cool. I wasn't that into it, but um, you know, I thought been about up, the view. I well, I liked it. I'd been up to the to the uh, windows on the world a couple times. I'd been there that summer. I thought it was. A, I thought I thought the fortieth floor view would be pretty nice as well. Yeah, I bet I bet it was. <laughs> wow, how many times did you think about that after? Oh gosh, probably uh, a, a few dozen times over the years. I mean, it's been 19 years. So, were you thinking of that at all that day? No, it didn't occur to me that day. I was I was too focused on what was right around me. Yeah, it felt too important to panic. I really clung on to that when you said that. Yeah, yeah, it That's did. Interesting. Um. So you're planning to get out for like five, four, four days, five days. Mm-hmm. You get out. Oh, so wait, you, I don't know if you answered the question actually. So what, why did you leave New York City? So you said the agency oh. was, was downsizing oh, right. and almost got bought. And then yeah, was, so was the, 9-11 was nail in the coffin? The 9-11 like, was nail in the coffin. It was, it was just, um, it was just dreadful. It, all of a sudden it became like a really dreadful place to live. I mean, it was the ruins were there. Like the ruins were like smoking for what seemed like months. And it just seemed terrible. Like it was just all of a sudden, like a depressing place to be. And, and the, you know, it looked like the economy was going to like completely blow up. I mean, it's nine 11 just really put the nail in the coffin of the, of the whole dot com thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I knew that, you know, I, I just, I was like, let's get out of here. Let's, let's go to Hawaii. Let's like escape to another world that's beautiful and safe and no one's ever going to attack it out of the way. That's, so that's why you went to Hawaii in particular? Yeah. Yeah. We took our time, you know, we drove across, spent like, I don't know, two or three months kind of just traveling across the U.S. and stopped in Colorado for a bit. California, uh, Eugene, spent like the summer in Eugene and then moved to Hawaii. So That's interesting that you, that was your uh, decision-making. What was your New York experience like in uh, October of that year before you, before you moved? So there's four weeks, three weeks before you move. What was your New York experience like and how different was it from that mm-hmm. to when we first started the conversation in June. Yeah, you know, it was. Um, what was the beat on the street? It was a little more communal and it was a little more dead. <laughs> And those things don't seem to go together, but people were more willing to make eye contact, but people were scared of doing too much and everyone kind of 
kind of like was cautious relatively and willing to like look at you relatively there was a sense of connection briefly but people were really worried everybody was worried and it was um that was that was the feeling on the street i think the image that you're conjuring in my mind is of a rabbit yeah you know i don't yeah. like you know the rabbits, rabbits will look at you but they're always they're always ready to bolt yeah yeah that's interesting what was your experience like then? So if that's what the tenor of the city is like, how did that affect your mostly communal situation and how you lived? Mm. I mean, I think it, it made it um, bleak and, you know, it made it kind of tedious. Um, how so tedious? I guess just day-to-day activities felt uh, just more kind of less enjoyable and therefore more burdensome and therefore more tedious. Hmm. Interesting. What about going to a cafe or going to a spot to hang out? Did you do very much of that after you moved back and did others? Yes, but cautiously. Actually, that does kind of remind me of the summer with COVID. Yeah, kind of cautiously, um, not in as great numbers, but definitely. I mean, there's definitely, well, it's definitely like part of the, like the way the way that you would live. So certainly, it would be weird not to do that. I think. Um, so yes, and this is after all. This is when the the month long marathon to the Metropolitan Museum of Art happened. Not in October, but a little bit later. Hmm. So you started doing that right before you left. Yeah, that was like the last, the last month before we left. I think that was March. Interesting. March or April, March or April yeah. March. Oh, so you left, you left in like March or April of 2002. Yeah, it was March. It was March. March. Okay. Yeah. So you were still worried about terrorist attacks following that? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, absolutely. It still felt like it was a target of the city of New York. Did you ever feel like you could relax? or And if not, when was the first time you felt like you could? Uh, I did feel like I could relax in the Catskills, yes. It did so feel not like, when you were in the city? Not when I was in the city, but the Catskills are not a target for terrorist attacks. Or it didn't Thank seem God. so, as far as we know. Yeah, unless there's some hidden bunkers. Um, yeah. I, I doubt it. I'm just being cheeky. Um, what uh, from October until March could you relax in the city at all? No, not really. <laughs> what do you feel when you go to New York City now? And have you? I mean, I, I think you were there a year ago, right? <laughs> I was there a year ago. I was just there a week ago, actually, just briefly for like ten minutes. Um, I just, I mean, the first thing that hits me is that's just an amazing, amazing human creation always. That kind of supersedes anything to do with 9-11, to be honest. So that's my feeling when I go there. Um, I do certainly, I mean, I certainly do think about it. Um, I, I look at the new thing they've built and 
yeah, I usually look for the skyline just to see see how it's different. So they it's, had these. It's, oh, go ahead. They had these awful uh, blue faux twin towers for the longest time. Like it must have been the whole almost the whole time I was there. I think after nine eleven, in those few months, there was it was like big spotlight, big spotlights, huge spotlights. Yeah, but they weren't awful, but they weren't great either. Well, it's interesting because I have that image of the spotlights. Mm-hmm. But what I'm thinking now is the spotlights with smoke still coming. Yeah. Yeah, the smoke like yeah, flushing I, out the spotlights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that was happening. It had to have been, right? If it was, because I know they put those up fairly not too long after. Not too been, long after, yeah. And the if it was smoking for several weeks, maybe in a month, two months, like, yeah. Right, right. Which I didn't know that it was smoking for that long either. That's, it makes sense though. I mean, if in order for a building to get hot enough that it, it melts itself inwards like it did, it probably would be pretty unsustainably. I mean, it doesn't, it takes a lot to get rubber to burn. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. It takes a lot to get steel to melt. So right. um, that's a, that's a self-perpetuating cycle for, that has probably a pretty long half-life. Um, Man, I, I never heard about the tables coming up, the zombie people, the... Oh, yeah? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think you, I mean, I have a very visceral image right now of what that, of walking the street would be, would look like. And to see people... Before you know, I ever saw it, yeah, bef- well, before I, this will add to that image, before I ever saw a table with the zombies, I saw the zombies just peeking over... So the westward, the roof of my office, the westward side on Broadway, this is one block north of Canal by the end stop. If you look down, so the trade, the World Trade Center is on Broadway. So it's the main route. It's the main route. So you just, there's a huge horde of people. I'm not saying all of them were like zombified, but certainly there were those that were just covered in white, covered in white chalk dust. Wow. Just a lot of them were the discombobulated, just... Didn't really know what was going on. Didn't didn't know which direction to go. Wow. That, Probably lots uh, of people that should be under normal circumstances tended to by medical professionals in some way. Yeah, but when you're talking about an instant, instant catastrophe and the magnitude of thousands, I mean, yeah. how many paramedics do you really have and how many do you have in a, a minute capacity? Right, um, right. Wow. Um. That's that's a very strong image. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I won't forget that. It was too important to panic. It felt too big to panic. Isn't that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, uh, you know, everyone, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's uh, 9-11 was a... Uh, definitely a national trauma but it doesn't it didn't um i don't think it affected all of us equally and it couldn't have because of the ways that it happened Mm -hmm. and without a doubt you know new york definitely felt the brunt of that Um, yeah yeah it took me a while to get get my head around the idea that it was a national tragedy i was like what are you talking about it was something that happened in new york and like some freak plane crash the pentagon 
but I, I can see why it was. I, mean, I can see why it was super psychologically traumatic. Um, yeah, just like COVID. Before, I mean, COVID yeah. doesn't affect me, but you know. Did affect New York City pretty badly too again though, right? That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty That's interesting. Um, what, uh, I mean, I guess, was that a marker in your life still? Is 9-11 still looked at? In my life, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Nineteen, nineteen yeah. years later, is it is it a, is it the milestone marker that you use to judge that epoch of time? Mm, yeah, I do divide things into pre and post. You yeah. divide pre and post, not not a not a milestone. You divide things like before and after. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's it's yeah. There's highly contrasting worlds. I think for me, at least. Huh. Yeah. Um, Did the event, was it the event itself that made it contrasting or was it the zeitgeist within it? Um, the zeitgeist within 9-11 or the zeitgeist? Yeah, the zeitgeist of 9-11. So 9-11 happens, I mean, the world changed. I mean, it was, it's definitely like, I think I can make a pretty strong argument that the world we lived in before and the world we lived in after are quite different. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was because of the, the zeitgeist caused by 9-11 consisting of um, just fear, you know, like culture of fear, politics of fear. Yeah. That, that's definitely, you know, 9-11 was like the, it was kind of like the, for me, it was kind of like the end of the nineties and The 90s were just, it was like this feeling of like massive opportunity and, and um, openness and freedom, lack of fear, just tons of prosperity, you know, this huge booming economy and new stuff happening. You know, the internet was completely new. It was changing everything. So, um, did your outlook on the world and the opportunities within it change? Yeah, actually they did. I kind of realized that um, <laughs> I had more opportunities in a sense because I, re- I realized that I realized that um, what it seemed absurd to me, which was to have my own digital agency that I could actually do. And then I actually did create one. It didn't last very long because I moved to Hawaii, <laughs> but um, <laughs> which is just because I wanted to do that more. I was like, I'm going to, I'd rather do this than that. But yeah, it gave me the sense that it was possible to, um, yeah, just kind of a, basic like possible to start your own business kind of thing i think on one level but on another level it just it made you think that you don't have to do business the way it's always been done there's like even that was still a fairly fairly unusual thing at that time like that you would you know most of the big digital agencies were were started by really well connected and probably really wealthy people and there was a bunch of them in new york city there's like 10 or 15 of them and they're all like it was all like some guy that was just 
super connected and probably born a multimillionaire and just, you know, launched oh, that, this yeah. thing. So, um, it, so it felt solo. like there was a little more opportunity for the digital like proletariat, mm -hmm. such as myself, I think. Um, yeah, and I knew the world was messed up and I knew the economy would suffer, but I still felt like there was there was some opportunity there. There was like some things were changing and, and you couldn't really count on, um, you know, just what people have been telling you for the previous few years. That's really interesting. So you, and it's, I mean, that's beautiful, honestly, that you took that out of it. Because I mean, you're not, you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur now. And yeah. it seems like that was a pretty important marker on the way to get to where you are now and killing it. Um, but also that you saw the opportunity amidst, amidst all the chaos and you didn't get lost in one, you sought the yeah. other. Yeah. I, two, three months, four months later, we were, I was, I was technically moonlighting. I didn't tell my company about it, but yeah, I was in a bank, a chase bank in Midtown doing the company formation paperwork and getting the bank great. <laughs> with my three, with my three buddies, you know, that's great. And to be clear, it was a complete failure, but um, not a complete failure. Yeah. I did. I did. A, I did actually. It, yeah, no, actually that no, wasn't a complete failure. I made money that I used to live on in Hawaii. So in that sense, it worked. That's not bad. It just no, was I mean, a short lived. It was a short lived adventure. Let's put it that way. That's okay. Most businesses are. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's true. That's a, that that's uh that's amazing. I think I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. This yeah, was, of course. I, this has been fascinating. Actually, I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk at such length on the subject. It's un, unusual that it happens. People are sore about it or resistant to it for some reason, which is fine. But it's been it's been great. It's a it's a hard event that caused a lot of other things to happen. That is dedicated a day of the year and it's i just don't think people want to have the time for it you know it's, it's yeah i mean it's not it's not a good thing it's not like i'm not fascinated with the event of 9-11 because it's a good thing and it's a happy medium i don't get i don't enjoy studying the patriot act but right. um right i mean i don't necessarily enjoy flossing but i still do it mm -hmm. you know uh, <clears throat> and i think this is as important as a thing to keep in mind because of a lot of what you said at the beginning of this, which is a lot of what we're seeing now is a direct result out of actions that happened from a massive traumatic event that you were able to describe as if, you know, we were on the street. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, this was, I, I definitely never, I mean, I'm sure I have put myself to try to put myself in the shoes of there. There's a great 9-11 documentary that was just like mm -hmm. you know, scraped together all of those uh, like handy cams or whatever cam recorders and police, you know, whoever had a, a recorder that submitted it to that project. And that's, that was really great. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think I quite understood. I, I always like to start trying to imagine something with what the feeling and the smell is. Yeah. Because it's usually the easiest thing and, <laughs> And right now, like I'm thinking of the smell of soot and how like awful that is, you know, it's just, it's like a chemical smell. It's not good. Yeah. It's toxic. But to see people walking like zombies mm -hmm. covered in it without yeah. any answers, no access right. to your phone, 
no answers, no access to anything. Um, yeah. and that people started popping up first aid tables, you right. know? And, and I mean like that, I, I can imagine why it took nine months if we're doing the, the calculation for you to get to Hawaii and have the ability to unpack all of this, to be able to really understand what you were seeing when, you know, right before the tower collapsed right. and understanding right. like, I, I mean, I woke up, I lived in Chicago. I remember going mm-hmm. to school knowing that a plane hit the, tw- that hit the towers. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember still we used school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I went to private school, so I don't think the public schools closed in Chicago, but I went I to remember that the Sears Roebuck Tower was thought to be like a target. I remember that. I remember they shut down downtown. I remember they did that like around 11 or so. I remember mm-hmm. the teachers rolled TVs into the classrooms that had uh, the news on. Um, right. And I, I remember certain things like that, but it wasn't like it was a scary event and it was something that happened, but I was connected still. Yeah. Right? Like I didn't like every, like when the plane, I, I'll never forget. I was in like history class when the plane hit the Pennsylvania plane went down mm-hmm. and, and like they were getting news in and like every, just everyone stopped and we were listening to it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, like, we were getting stuff. But to imagine being 15 minutes walk, 20 minute walk from the yeah. center of this and you're completely disconnected from everything. You, you, you don't right. know. I mean, dude, like I'd be getting my paddleboard and I'd be, I would be paddleboarding across the East river and I'd be getting the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. I, you're not connected to anything. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I would, I'd never would have imagined that it's always going to be harder. The more that I live in the world that I live in now with technology and internet, it's going to be hard for me to imagine not being connected. It's, it is, but yeah, it makes sense. While that is happening, it's even harder still to understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you, if you're ever disconnected now, it might be on purpose, like a, like a fast for a couple of days. That's different than being disconnected in a, a crisis. That seems pretty unlikely. Right. And the way that we felt it with COVID now is that there was a absence of information because no one knew anything about the virus. Mm-hmm. Right. So there wasn't that you weren't getting anything. It's just that you didn't know what you were getting. And there was a del- deluge of it's like too nonsense. much bad information. Yeah. Where, what you're nonsense. saying is just right. Sorry, avoided inform- you were saying there's just a void, a void yeah. of information. There was yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Well, uh, I would love to have you back. <laughs> I'd love to be back. <laughs> I would love to have you back on uh, several different topics and maybe even just a rolling conversation or, or something like that. Uh, but I it, really appreciate you taking the time. It's been my pleasure, John. This has been um, this has been good. It's been good to to get this on tape. You know, to have something to to, to reference and maybe even for me to listen to. I'll, I'll actually look forward to listening to it. I I am too. Well, yeah. Thanks again. Let's let's wrap in a second, but uh thank you again, sure. Ron. Okay. Thank you, John.